Thank you, um, and thank you everybody for coming. We've been told that we have slightly more than 15 minutes today, excitingly, so I have a digression, which I might put in at some point. I will flag it when it comes. Like most books, I suspect that the tidal zone had many points of genesis when people say, there we go, um, how do you get your ideas or where does an idea come from? I never really know. The answer is invariably a lie. Um, so some of what follows is not true. <laughs> I think one of the moments of beginning for this book was a day two years, three years ago. Um, a completely ordinary morning. We were getting the children ready for school. My husband and I were bickering about why we were doing their packed lunches for them five minutes before we had to leave the house. Um, you know, yelling at one to get out of the shower and the other to get his sports kit ready. And we had Radio 4 on in the background, which we always do in the mornings. And there was a report from Syria. A hospital had been bombed. And I remember having the cheese in one hand and the knife in the other, and thinking, oh, well, that's very sad. You know, I wish I could do something about that, but sort of moving on with it. And then the reporter said, and now we're going over to the bomb site. And there was somebody shouting in Arabic. There was a man shouting in Arabic. And the reporter said, oh, he's cradling a child's body. And then the translator said, the man was shouting, where is the world? This is happening to us now. Where is the world? And I froze, thinking, I'm here. I can hear you. I'm here in my kitchen in the Midlands, which has not been bombed for 50 years. But I have absolutely no idea what to do about it. You know, the communication has succeeded. But, but now what? And of course, there's nothing you can do. There was nothing I could do. I finished getting the children ready for school. I took them to school. I went to work. And all through that day, when I was answering emails and sitting through meetings and teaching my students, I kept thinking about that father standing in the ruins of the hospital with his child's body in his arms and thinking, what do you do after that moment? You have to put her down. You have to go tell your wife what happened. You have to move on through that point of crisis into what comes next. And when my kids came home from school, as usual, I said, how was your day? Um, and for once, they didn't just say fine and disappear. Um, my younger sons told me about this very exciting thing that had happened, which was that while they were playing football, somebody in his class had broken his leg on the football pitch, and the air ambulance had come, and they'd all stood at the side of the field and watched the helicopter land and this child go into it. There was a happy ending. You know, it was, was an interesting story with lots of drama. The child got taken to hospital, the leg was fixed, he was going to be fine, he was staying in hospital for a day or two. And I thought, at one end of the Mediterranean, you scramble a helicopter to bomb a children's hospital. And on the same day, at the other end of the Mediterranean, you scramble a hospital to lift one injured child from a football field and take him to a hospital where you can make him better. And I had no idea how you hold those two realities in your mind at once. This is a very old problem. It's a problem that probably goes back to the beginnings of international news in the 18th or 19th century, and we've never really had a solution to it. People tend to do one of two things. You either conclude that the suffering of the child on the football pitch in the Midlands can't possibly matter while there are so many children dying so many violent, pointless deaths all over the world. You decide that it's a first world problem and, you know, we hear this all the time. Oh, well, you've got no business complaining about whatever it is because other people have it worse. That's a logic that ends in silence and death. There's always somebody who has it worse until there isn't, and by that point, no reportage is possible. 
The other strategy, which is rarely clearly articulated, but I think often what we do, is to think, oh, well, people who live in war zones can't possibly suffer as much when their children die as I would if my children died. This is different. You know, somehow they, they, they must get used to it. It can't quite be the same. The world cannot be holding this much suffering at any given moment. And we know that's not true. But it's also the only way you can finish making the school lunches and get your kids off to school while you're listening to Radio 4 in the morning. So I wanted to write a book that would hold those two realities at the same time. One that would not decide that one form of pain and suffering and fear is important and the other sort isn't. I'm very resistant to the idea that there are first world problems. Uh, it's always a phrase that makes me very cross, partly because of the hierarchy implicit in that first, second, third world lineup, but also because surely the whole point is not that some people have first world problems and other people have third world problems. The point is that those problems compound each other. I am quite certain that your mother-in-law is still annoying if you're in a bomb shelter. Um, that your son-in-law still bangs on about stuff that really doesn't matter if there isn't any electricity, that you still worry about the shape of your nose if you have to walk three miles for water. And I am absolutely certain that losing a child feels very much the same, whatever your circumstances. So I wanted to write a book that takes that moment of emergency, that moment of fear and crisis, and then explores the aftermath. And of course, I have to do it on the basis of the world I know, the experiences I have. So my narrator, Adam, experiences a moment of extreme fear. His daughter, Miriam, collapses, in fact, on a school playing field. You know, I'm kind of mixing my two moments of beginning there. And he and the family live through the, the implosion of their lives that follows that moment but he doesn't stop thinking about what's happening in the world, and the book doesn't stop thinking about what's happening in the world. There are other stories cutting in and out. Because I'm interested in holding those forms of drama together, in resisting the hierarchy, in not saying that one kind of suffering doesn't matter because the sufferer is over there, or one kind of suffering isn't important because the sufferer is over here. But I wanted to write really about how we live through those moments, and one of the points that interested me there was flipping the genders. What happens if, instead of just saying, oh, well, family always comes first, we think about a, a household in which family does come first. So my narrator, Adam, is the husband and father, but he's also made a fairly free choice to be the one who stays at home and raises the kids. And I was interested in there in masculinity now, in what it's like to say that somebody is a good man, because I think the meaning of that phrase has changed. I think maybe 40 years ago, it was much clearer what that meant in a family context. It was to be a provider, it was to be the solid one, it was to be you know, the one who was out with the lawnmower on a Saturday morning. For my generation, I think it feels rather different. We have different expectations of gender, and we've thought a lot about what that means for women, but maybe rather less about what it means for men. So the experience of this family is certainly middle class, um, and that's something that I've occasionally had to defend. But I don't think that that means those fundamental questions about what it is to be a moral person, what it is to love your children, what it is to be afraid, what it is to feel suffering, are really very much changed by the environment in which we have those experiences. So I wanted to write from a kind of ground zero of love and of fear, 
and I wanted to write a book that resists hierarchies. Thank you.